And welcome back to the Pot of Gold. Nick, another day, a conf another conference. How are you? Yeah, pretty good, actually. I'm feeling a lot better now that I've actually made the presentation. Yes, I um, unfortunately didn't get to see your presentation. So for everybody listening who also didn't get to see your presentation, guess what we're going to get stuck into today? My now, presentation. <laughs> your presentation. Uh, now, to everybody listening, we are coming to you from IMARC in Sydney this time, which is Australia's largest mining conference. Uh, but let's kick on with it because the last time we spoke, gold was trading in the 1800s. And Nick, gold's looking back at getting up to $2,000 per ounce. Yeah. Now, um, I do want to touch on your presentation and the factors that are moving gold. But first of all, from a technical point of view, how much has this recent V-shape that gold made changed the price targets? Pretty well because um, it's, it's uh, had a bunch of short-term price targets uh, that are clustering between 2000 and 2020 and price, uh, we made a higher 2006, so um, you know, certainly we're in that zone. And then of course some of the really big climb uh, out of that low from the uh, Hamas you know, uh, news impact has created some targets that are probably back up to 2200 and of course you know the drop didn't displace the really big targets that were in there on the daily which you know might be years away mm -hmm. um, but yeah in terms of short-term targets back up to 20 the 2020s 2000s and the 2020s are there any lows are there what are there on the downside because this is and we'll get to why mm. it might go down later on but this is a heck of a move yeah it's a it's a big move i wanted to use a different word yeah, <laughs> but I do remember. Um, so downside targets. Look, there were downside targets from some time back uh, that go way down. I mean, like sixteen hundreds and back to the lows of last year. And again, those are on the long term charts. I don't think they're on the hourlies, uh, hourly point and figure, but they're definitely on the dailies. So they're you know legacy targets uh, from big moves that would have happened when gold, uh, I guess, shifted from lower from the highs of last year, for example. So let's start with uh, gold's recent move higher. Now, gold was going down lower because of the higher for longer thesis was finally being braced in markets. Yeah, yeah. And we've now seen the conflict break out between um, Israel and Hamas. Yes. That's obviously caused gold to rise. Mm. Uh, but tell me, should gold be at this elevated level? Well, that's a really interesting question. And that was probably one of the, the core themes of my presentation. If you remember when gold was in the sort of the low 1800s, just really at the end of September, beginning of October, uh, you know, really good US data, uh, high real rates, nominal rates, strong dollar, rising dollar, all of those things and the expectation of higher for longer uh, contributed to a weaker gold price. Positionally, that meant that uh, managed money shorts, I think we're at the highest level in four years. Mm. Managed money longs were at the lowest level in one year. So net positioning was pretty much zip. And, you know, so, so, and of course Hamas changes all of that uh, because it contains the potentiality for, uh, at least the potentiality for a wider conflict in the Middle East and what does it mean uh, in general for energy and so on. So that changed things, but from a positional point of view, of course, because the market was really short and managed money sector was really short, if you look at it through that lens, um, then for every ounce bought, in the week ending the 17th, Tuesday the 17th, three ounces were guys buying back, short coverage. Mm. One ounce was fresh longs. And if you look in the week ending after that, the most recent data point you've got, 24th of October, still more buying by shorts than buying by fresh longs. And one of my side points is that that isn't as yet 
a good foundational start for a significant bull market because we're actually just seeing shorts come back, buy back. That's actually quite interesting, suggesting that the shorts are coming back into the market when the gold price is so high. Does that mean that the elevated that the gold market is adjusting to the, the conflict? So basically, the, the uncertainty has been taken away? Um, I think there's still a lot of uncertainty around that. Um, shorts are still very, very they're, they're, they're still very defensive. Uh, they've bought back substantial amounts in the last two, uh, two, two recorded weeks, um, and they probably are reluctant to, you know, enter in again. Um, there is a lot of there is a lot of uncertainty, um, and I try to touch on that in the presentation by saying where does that uncertainty lie? Mm. So, there's a couple of things. Uh, one is geographic, and that there's a mixed story about this, but basically you hear a lot about the Straits of Hormuz because it's easy for the Iranians to, um, you know, inflict concern over there or, 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 or jam uh, seaborne traffic through there, mm. in theory. Because it's like 20% of world's petroleum liquids travel through the Straits of Hormuz. Petroleum liquids, it's crude and condensate. Mm -hmm. And then I think even more than that of LNG. But the reality is, is it's really important to remember that that's a really, really last-ditch thing for Iran to do because it would create a massive balance of payments problem for them because so all of their stuff goes out through the Straits of Hormuz too. So it'd be really difficult to kind of blockade it and then but not blockade themselves. So it's an unlikely scenario. It's an unlikely scenario, and that's a really important thing. I, th I think it's an important thing to, to bear in mind that people bring it up. Mm. Of course they bring it up. It's natural. But at the same time, what are the odds? You know, not, that, not as high. Mm. But on the other hand, looking down the other end of the Saudi Peninsula, uh, if you look at um, Gulf of Aden and the extreme southern Red Sea, then you have got that area which is uh, in the hands, or at least partly in the hands of some semi-proxies for Iran, the Houthi rebels, uh, and they're anti-Saudi and anti-sort of, you know, uh, I guess, you know, the, the states and so on. Um, they overlook, uh, Thai's province sort of overlooks a waterway that's extreme southern Red Sea. It's about 18 kilometers across, if my um, research was correct, <laughs> and uh, my dividers. And uh, that, that 18 kilometers, that, so through that area passes 12%, I think, of all seaborne traffic mm -hmm. and 40% of all trade between Asia and Europe. Okay. And then you could actually mess around with that. So... That would, and that would, of course, be inflationary in terms of the energy disruption, but fundamentally perhaps deflationary in terms of its impact on world supply chains. On the topic of fair value with gold, and as we're talking about gold is reflecting the uncertainty at the moment, mm. but what's its actual fair value? Because you and I have had this conversation in the past, it mm. really should be a couple of hundred dollars per ounce lower. Mm. So what is the war premium for gold right now? Well, if you looked at the uh, the war premium, and I, I don't know how much of the total premium is 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 war, but it's it's a, you know it's an unknown amount between uh, a very high percentage and all of it. Um, I think if you, I, last time I looked at Charlie Morris's Atlas Pulse uh, Gold Fair Value Estimator, I think we were talking in the region of over six hundred dollars. Mm. It's substantial. Yeah. If you look at the really basic, much more basic, much more simple regression that I do on 10-year uh, real yields, yep. it's about the same, roughly. So, um, that, that's so, so, yeah, the regression line, and okay, it's not great. I mean, there's a whole bunch of statistical reasons why 
you don't necessarily go through that route and then die on that statistical hill because um, nerdy stuff like autoregression, time series <laughs> and so on. But, but let's forget about that. But the fact is it's still a guide and you, you need a guide. Um, so somewhere in there is the regression line and where real rates are now as modeled by 10-year tips, gold should be way lower. And then it isn't. And it isn't because official sector demand, which I don't think really cares about where real rates are, for reasons to do with what real rates are doing to their foreign exchange holdings, which are in bonds largely, um, and and because of this geopol geopolitical thing, and the geopolitical thing, which you know we've sort of covered off on the potential for trouble. Uh, there's also the possibility i mean you look at who benefits and i don't want to go into it this that much cause it's not a geopol geopolitics podcast but if you look at it you know I iran stands to benefit a lot if they can disrupt the sort of peacemaking and adjustment efforts that israel and other arab nations in the in the region are making such as saudi um then those are all good things to happen but they don't benefit iran mm. so iran has a very good uh, kind of motivation to disrupt that um, and a good incentive, but also behind um, behind Iran, to some extent, you've got to think Russia is um, is 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 in a kind of grinding deadlock in southern Ukraine, and that grinding deadlock uh, hinges on lots of things. Uh, Ukrainians need money, and they need munitions, and Israel, no doubt, needs money and munitions, and so if you can split that that kind of um, you can create two problems when there were one. Mm. That's also a beneficiary for certain nations. You know. Um, you know, what was the parting thought that you tried to leave with the audience and how this is impacting gold? There are two, two kind of parts to that thesis and they're interrelated. One thing is, if you look at what happened in terms of price action post-Russia-Ukraine, post the invasion, right, in February last year, about three weeks after the invasion, gold made a really substantial reversal candle. And it followed through with that. So that it made the candle, made the reversal signal, and then traded lower, so confirmed. Mm -hmm. And 90 odd days after the invasion, gold is pretty much, if I have the right you know, stuff in my memory, gold's pretty much where we were at the starting line before the invasion. And then 240 days after that, after, well, maybe after that or after the invasion, gold is, is at 1620 or something. It's, it's really low. Mm. It, just the, the, it bounces off that low three times and then rallies again. Yeah. So in the short run, I mean, not the very short run because the geopolitics did make gold rally, but in the short run, real rates, which rose quite sharply, if I remember sort of the gra graph overlay, they won out. They, 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 they were more important than a war. Mm. That's an important takeaway. The thing is, is that, you know, again, those guys, those guys who bought, whether they were short covering at the very highs or they bought the very highs because they thought that gold was going to go higher, the expectations, their expectations are completely subverted as gold dropped, you know, 400, over $400 from that high. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is, is that if you combine the high, current high prices, particularly in the Aussie dollar, because of the relative weakness of the Aussie, which as we know comes from concern over global growth, expected global growth, declining global growth, and uh, declining demand for commodities, possibly, and um, concerns over China's economy. And interestingly enough, when China announced that it had a big fiscal package that it was going to 
uh, unleash, not unleash, but you know, boost the economy with. Um, the Aussie did rally for a little bit and then it sank. Mm. So it, that tells you, you know, like when, when you can't rally on good news, <laughs> and that should have been good news, yep. then that's not good. Um, but the combination of that weaker Aussie and that really high US dollar gold price, my sort of last thesis was, um, my, my other point, if you like, is that if you're naturally long of Australian dollar gold, as Australian producers are, then you should look at this as an opportunity. I think a lot of them probably won't because they want to be seen to be full participants in the gold price, both on the upside and the downside. Okay. And that happens. But that, that would be my point, is I denoise the situation, take several steps back, and look at what... This, this, this is, you know, what was the expression I used with you the other day? Forever paradigm. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> gold is... You know, war is not a forever paradigm, so don't think that it's going to be the thing that drives this higher forever. Well, that was uh, basically taking to me where my next question was mm. going to be, and that is um, eventually the dust will settle on the conflict, and as much as I hate to say this, gold will adapt to it and it will begin to fall. Yes. Is it likely to fall really hard? Because it had a big dip down as, you know, the impact mm. of higher real rates. The Fed's still committed to raising rates. This hasn't stopped. Yes. Do you think gold will likely see a really big dip down, or do you think it would be more of a, like a slow decline? Uh, I don't think it'll be a really rapid fall as things stand at the moment because going back to positioning, it doesn't look as though institutional buyers have loaded up on longs mm. and gold is more likely to be vulnerable to a rapid fall when you get a lot of recent arrivals okay. and then they get squeezed out because the price goes against them and then you know they've margined or whatever and then they have to run um, just as the shorts had to run on the way up. So... That would be my case that without a lot of new longs, gold isn't vulnerable to a necessarily vulnerable to a rapid reset. But and also the other thing is, is I think there's quite a lot of uncertainty. Even if things go well, i.e., you know, kind of sanity prevails, and yep. we don't even know where that would happen. But uh, sanity could prevail. Sanity will not prevail overnight. Mm. So that tells me as well that people will be, you know, not not selling the, you know, the, the hell out of it. Flipping back to managed money positioning uh, that we talked about at the start of the conference, it sounds like, uh, start of the conference, start of the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that's only day two, I've got another day to go. Yeah. Um, it sounds like managed money is rather agnostic on gold at the moment. I think so, because if you look at what we're going through in yields with the whole, you know, <clears throat> bear steepening process that's going on and the longer, um, the longer dated end of the uh, curve, um, going, you know, like 10 years, touching 5%, and people talking about it going further, and we have targets for it to go further, mm -hmm. and there's nothing, no reason why it can't, um, but the longer d at the same time, it's fallen so far that actually quite a few money managers are very obviously either, they've, it's well, well known, publicly known, that a lot of big money managers who have been short, um, sh short covered and sort of took money off the table, they're great for them, um, but there's also people coming in with fresh buying because they're looking at this and saying, actually, structurally, you know, 5%, 5 whatever percent of 10-year, 20-year, and down to 30-year, this is actually great. You mm. know, this is really, really, these are great yields to lock into. Um, but that doesn't mean it can't go, yields can't go higher. Real rates definitely could go higher. What we certainly get the sense of is that the real, the neutral real rate, the nominal real rate, we know the real rate, uh, obviously, minus inflation, um, inflationary expectations is that the that 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 neutral rate is way higher post pandemic, mm. way higher, 
and that the market, I think the, 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 the curve is re- readjusting to that. Um, now, before we wrap up today's podcast, we actually haven't covered this off yet. Mm. You were recently in Barcelona for the LBMA conference. Yes. Uh, now, I know you and I have had a couple of uh, you know, phone conversations about some of the great speeches there. Yeah. But for everybody listening, what was one of your key takeaways from this? Because this is a big event in the gold industry. Oh, do you know what the key takeaway for me was? Meeting all my friends again. But, uh, <laughs> um, but the, the, no, to be honest with you, we had a lot of meetings and I didn't end up in a lot of uh, the presentations. Mm. It was a bit of a shame because like, particularly Platinum Group Metals, always really interesting. Mm. Um, obviously, that was a part of my life. So uh, the other thing was, and I have to give a shout out to David McWilliams, <laughs> the Irish economist who was the keynote. Mm-hmm. He gave a fantastic, and that may be what you were Sort of that's where I was trying, that, to, get, trying, I was trying to, to nudge you towards. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. So David Williams is a great speaker, fantastic speaker. He gave a tremendous keynote, um, which was really interesting. I had to rush out before the end, though, but I listened to most of it. It's great. He didn't use slides, and he quoted um, uh, Yeats, quoted some great modernist poetry, and he made some one of one of his insights actually, which I think is just worth repeating, is that is that when the world is at an inflection point, and he made the the, the fair point that we might be at such an inflection point now is that very often it's not the analysts and the economists who capture it and say, everyone, we are at an inflection point and a point of great sort of difficulty to understand. He, he said it's often the artists and the poets who understand that better than anybody. And he quoted Yeats's uh, poem, The Second Coming, uh, which was written, I think, between 1919 and 1922-ish, if I remember correctly. And that describes the immediate post-World War One era of incredible uncertainty and soul-searching and the kind of the dark valley, which some people, historians, refer to it between World War One and World War Two. And he said, you know, that, that poem and the poet himself captured that insight much more brilliantly than most of the people that we look to mm. to capture. So that was the... That was my big takeaway, and I thought that was a really lovely point well made, and now I'm a committed follower of his podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'll have to go find it myself, actually. Yeah, you should. It sounds fantastic. It's a shame I missed the speech. Uh, Nick, we're probably drawing today to a close, Mm. Um, but before we go, I want to just touch on what our key takeaways from this podcast are uh, for everybody listening, and I think one of my key takeaways from today's conversation is uh, the use of the word forever paradigm. I mean, well done. Another lovely Nickism there. Mm. But um, just when it comes to pointing out that there is clearly a war premium happening to the price of gold for the moment. And when, as you said, if sanity prevails, it's likely that the, you know, the wind will come out of gold sales. Yeah, that's true. And it's not what everyone wants to hear because a lot of people in the gold space always want to have a one-way view on gold. And, um, and I'm actually saying you can't look at things the same way mm. all the time. Otherwise, you just get stuck in a, a, a kind of mental rut about something and you never see... I'm not saying I'm, I'm right, by the way. I mean, you know, like just in case. But I'm just saying, you know, step back and look at all the outcomes or at least one of the other outcomes. Mm. Nick, once again, it's been a fabulous podcast mm. um, to have you. I love podcasting with you on the road, but this time you're in my booth. We're not yeah, in your yeah, booth. Yeah, Normally yeah. I'm in ABC Refinery's booth. Uh, it's been great to have you here. Thank you for your insights. And I really hope to catch a replay of your presentation because I hear it was fantastic. So thank you. No, thanks very much. And yeah, once again, great to do a podcast with you too, Shay. Cheers. <laughs>